Earlier this month, I was walking through uh, the Cumbrian village where my sister lives, and I saw that the Methodist chapel had been bought for redevelopment as a restaurant. Down through the years, I've seen it close and then lie derelict, and now tourists will dine there by candlelight, and fell walkers will come down from the hills for coffee and cake. All over Britain, buildings that were once packed with worshippers have been born again as community centres, pubs, warehouses. Not far from here in Botanic Avenue's Empire Bar, drinkers suck pints and eat pizza where a congregation just like you once worshipped, where individuals came to faith, where couples baptised their children, lovers took marriage vows, families buried their dead. Another building near the university has had a more noble conversion and hosts string quartets and concerts. Another, on Donegal Pass, hosts a Chinese nightclub. Of course, some churches are prospering in Carrickfergus, there's 28 of them. The latest strange creation with huge turrets, like a flat-packed version of the medieval castle, just a stone's throw away. But in reality, a number of Ulster churches are closing down, or if current trends in demographics continue, they'll close soon. I've spoken with one distressed man whose beloved Presbyterian church on the Shankill Road now hosts just a handful of old men and women on Sunday. He knows that the end is nigh, but what's going to happen to his church in the afterlife? Think of what memories this church holds for you, going back through the years involving times of laughter and solemnity. Imagine a hundred years from now, the Fitzroy Casino, where the dice rolls, the ace of spades is played, and small fortunes are won and lost where you used to pray. Well, you may say, ah, sure isn't the church the people of God, it's not the bricks and the mortar. And in one sense, that's true. But to build a sacred place at the heart of the community is a universal urge, and it was central all through the Jewish scriptures to the faith of the Jewish people who are our spiritual ancestors. We read in Exodus how the liberated people made their way from Egypt towards the promised land. And Moses was very exercised about the need for a building to house the Jews' most sacred artifact, the Ark of the Covenant. First Chronicles 22, David says he was, sorry, Exodus 25 informs us that God told Moses, make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you, according to the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture. And in the next few chapters, the details of the tabernacle unfold. Ten curtains of twisted linen, gold clasps to join the curtains together, a canopy made from goat's hair, the entire structure covered in tanned ram's skins, and resting on a framework of acacia wood. A beautiful building, dedicated to the presence of God, and created at no little expense and with great craftsmanship. Later in the scriptures, as the Jews established themselves in their promised land, they built a permanent place for worship, a temple in Jerusalem. King David had the vision and his son Solomon fulfilled it. Go to 1 Chronicles 22, and find out the story. 
David said he was unworthy to build it as a man of blood. But his son might have the right to build it as a man of peace. And he passed to his son a plan for the architecture and the holy rituals. Many people have been fascinated by that temple. The famous Isaac Newton wrote lots about it. And some Bible teachers today see the temple as structured to teach us lessons about God, about salvation, and about ourselves. In the early scriptures then, the sacred building that lay at the heart of the faith community was somewhere to be planned, to be crafted, to be respected, and to be loved. After the desolation of the Babylonian exile, and the destruction, of course, of their temple, the returning Jewish people rebuilt their holy place like we read about in the book of Ezra and the book of Second Chronicles. And it was this structure modified by the monarchs, the Herodian monarchs, that stood in Jerusalem in Christ's day. Although by then the sacred building that mattered to most Jews was probably their local synagogue. Mystic visions in the book of Ezekiel proclaim an even more glorious temple that will be erected someday. And you may well know that for Orthodox Jews, they pray each and every day for that temple to be built. The believers in a brand new faith that we meet in the Christian Testament have no grand places to worship in, meet in one another's homes much of the time. But by the time Christianity has become socially organized, churches as dedicated spaces have begun to be built. And the result is over two millennia of perhaps the most sustained and wonderful architectural legacy in the history of the human race. Buildings such as in our own city, which include the great ornate structures like Connard Monastery and little places like the Welcome Hall on the Shangle Road, where Amy Carmichael invited the local mill girls to come because they were too scared to go to the respectability of a big church. But in a time of change and decline, one of the challenges facing the people of God is to ensure, I think, that church buildings are not to be put to use eventually just as casinos or nightclubs or super pubs, but that they take on new life that contributes to the moral and spiritual well-being of their neighbourhood in a way that accords with the values of Christ's kingdom. The Duncairn Church, we referred to earlier, was built in 1862 on the Lower Lambton Road, buoyed up by the success of the 1859 Evangelical Revival, enjoying a time of great self-confidence in a growing city. Designed by the architect who built the Albert Clock, designed in scrabble stone, Hundreds of families regarded it as their spiritual home. Then during the tenure of the Reverend Dermot McMoran, a hundred years later, the troubles began. And the congregation that he pastored started to vanish. The nearby New Lodge became an IRA stronghold, terrifying Protestants. And those who could headed for the council estates or the suburban roads where they felt more safe. Sometimes returning to go to church on Sundays. By the time that Pat and Taylor arrived in the 1980s, the decline was inexorable. Riots, gun battles, and the aftermath of the hunger strike, and a nearby army watchtower just in the, which the church stood in the shadow was attacked by rockets scores of times. 
Eventually, in 1995, Dunkern amalgamated with St Enoch's and closed its doors. But that was not the end. Already, Patton had liaised with the nearby Baptist church about the creation of a Christian cafe and community centre at 174 Antrim Road, started by volunteers from here and abroad who would move into this volatile area to live as well as work, called the Salt Shaker. And those who staffed the enterprise offered counselling, friendship, advice, training, education, leisure opportunities and a knowledge, if people wished to avail of it, of the Christian faith to the people of the area whom, for whom violence was a daily occurrence and deprivation was endemic. And there are, as I said earlier, many people living fulfilled lives in Belfast today, lives that give to the community, and they would not have survived if the salt shaker had not been there. A decade later, with the demise of the Duncan congregation, the project moved into the church premises it's now renamed the Dunkern Complex and the activities there have brought much good to the people of the area on issues as diverse as suicide prevention, trying to find an initiative that agrees with everybody on policing, and so on. Plans are underway right now for the last part of the jigsaw to fall into place, conversion of the Dunkern Sanctuary into a cultural space dedicated to interaction of North Belfast's contested narratives and the flourishing of all its languages. Would you agree that this is better than if the former Dunkern members drove along the Antrim Road and watched the building turned into the Dunkern Furniture Warehouse? or the new Lodge Wine Lodge. Better for the local community too, that a project inspired by Christ and run on Christian principles, dedicated to local well-being, should occupy that church whose spire still presides over the little streets. Of course, I'm not speaking about this matter because I sense congregational implosion about to befall Fitzroy, don't worry. I'm not asking a Fitzroy remnant to prepare the place for a new post-church existence. But what I would suggest is that there are numerous church buildings such as ours around this city that hold very viable congregations and yet may have to change their style or their function if they're to have a missional effect and sustained existence in an altering city. From Tennant Street to the Castlereagh Road, I am sure you have already seen churches do this, opening a mix of cafes, daytime prayer rooms, advice centres, job facilities, sports clubs, arts and performance venues, experiments in urban living, undreamt of in the past, driven by a sense that alterations of function and capacity are needed in a 21st century world and not denying the central need at the heart of this of scriptural teaching and the message of personal change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know Fitzroy is already contemplating some of these matters and I would put it to you that as this congregation thinks about new missional activity within this locality that this will raise the prospect or possibility of dramatic changes in the building so as to host the future. 
Such changes need to blend an enthusiastic sensitivity to the past and a prophetic professionalism with regard to the future. The challenge will not be quite like that faced during the recreation of the Jewish temple in the period after the exile, but one Bible passage found in the book of Ezra that deals with that topic does seem relevant. It explains that the people have returned to the city and it starts being made to rebuild. And it's a time of deep and very mixed emotions. I'm going to read it to you again, even though you read it earlier. When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites to praise the Lord with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord with the following words. For he is good. His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout. And they praised the Lord because the foundations of the temple were laid. But many of its priests and Levites and heads of families, the old people, who had been there and seen the first house on its foundation, wept with a loud voice when they saw this new house. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. A beautiful image, capturing the delight of renewal, but also the intense remembrance of what has passed and can't quite ever be reborn as it once was. Times of rebuilding, I'm reminding you, are times of mixed emotions, as are all times of change. I would suggest that today we offer a prayer for the Church of Christ as it goes through change in our city. That if possible, it may experience growth rather than decline. But if it were, locally it does experience that decline, that wisdom will be granted to those whose job it is to handle change in our congregation, in our denomination, all across the city. Finding ways to make buildings that once housed prayerful congregations into places that continue to manifest kingdom values, in places such as the Greater Shankle, to put a finger on it, right now. Challenges facing the Presbyterian Church and its mission board and its general board as they think about it right now. I would suggest too that we pray for healthy congregations such as our own, where the challenges of the years ahead will may be necessitate changing structures. Pray that a sensitivity to both function and beauty, to both past and future, may be in evidence. And that in the words of Nick Walterstorff recently, our church building may continue to dignify the ordinary. May we also have the understanding that renewal has potential for stirring both joy and sadness in those who experience it. It's a complex thing. When Ezra watched his Jewish people participate in the relaying of the temple's foundation stone, it may have been a time of joy, but threaded through it also were moments of sadness. Because change is a complex thing. Always, always is. Those are my thoughts anyway on the matter and try to reflect back a little bit in some of those passages about the importance of church building, buildings in the, in, in the Jewish Testament 
the, the, the centrality they have inside the community, the importance of church buildings, but also thinking about ways in which they must continue to adapt, and in some cases, change, but still retain the centrality of the importance of their function as the house of the children of God. Thanks for listening. Thank you.